Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. We begin with verse 38. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 38. We had a precious week this past week. Lots of our people here, night after night after night after night, coming at 7 o'clock for classes. Had special classes for every age group. And Brother Dan met with the men. Mrs. Jane met with the ladies. And then at 8 o'clock, we all came together for the revival service. It was a very precious experience, unusual. And... I know a lot of folks made personal commitments to the Lord that will last forever. We thank God for that. Somebody said, you know, I don't know whether I believe in revivals or not. They don't last. I think it was Billy Sunday who said, neither does a bath, but it sure does help. <laughs> and that's what revivals are. They're sort of a spiritual bath when we can come and get off some of the old tar and callousness of our hearts and lives and get going again for God. Just before we read from the Word, I wonder if anyone has anything you want to share, any word of testimony, a word of gratitude for anything that happened to you during the week or any blessing, Dr. Kent. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. I want to speak tonight on the subject, the sign of Jonah. And as we think of this, I'd like for us to think of the story of Jonah, the sin of Jonah, the second chance of Jonah, <clears throat> and the sign of Jonah. And so will you turn to the book of Jonah from Matthew 12? And let's look at the, first of all, the story of Jonah. Now, in one sense, the story of Jonah is a well-known story. It's been told over and over again. And the book of Jonah, and the book of Daniel, and the book of Genesis have been the three target books for the liberals who, cannot, who have a difficult time with miracles. Actually, there's so much supernatural in the book of Jonah, it's interesting that everybody just circles in on the big fish and the fish swallowing Jonah. There are a lot more miracles than that. It was a miracle that the fish could keep Jonah down three days. The gourd is a miracle. The worm is a miracle. 
The east wind is a miracle. The repentance of a whole city, the city of Nineveh, one of the largest cities in the world of that day. The whole city repented, beginning with the king. And the nation Assyria was preserved just a little bit longer. All those things are God-breathed miracles. Now, Jonah was a prophet of Israel. He lived in the time of Jeroboam II, approximately the year 782 B.C., which was nearly 800 years before the Lord Jesus was born. There's a reference in 2 Kings 14.25 that gives us just a little bit of the influence of the mighty man of Jonah. Speaking of Jeroboam, it says, He restored the border of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spoke by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Geth Hafer. And so we see a little bit of Jonah's influence. He was more than the Billy Graham of his day. He was the court prophet. He was like Isaiah in his day. He was not like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet, and nobody ever really courted him. He didn't pay much attention to Jeremiah. But Isaiah was the court prophet, and he preached to the kings, and he had audiences with the kings, and so it was with Jonah. Now, Jonah, the word, the name Jonah means dove, D-O-V-E, which means peace, a symbol of peace. Jonah was the first foreign missionary mentioned in the Word of God. And the symbols in the book of Jonah are so related to the Lord Jesus that we have to be careful tonight not to take hours and hours and hours to move in on the symbolic truths that we could get from the book of Jonah that relate to Christ. And I think it's very important that when we study an Old Testament character or figure or chapter or book that we see Jesus because Jesus himself said, search the scriptures. In them ye think ye have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. And the whole life of Jonah was one great big symbol or sign or story that foretyped and foreshadowed the life of Jesus Christ. Just as Jonah was the first foreign missionary, Jesus was the great foreign missionary who left the glories of heaven and came to earth to say to a world, God cares about you, God loves you. And I hope you'll be patient with me when I say this. Just as Jonah tried to run away from the will of God, the Lord Jesus didn't do that. But in his humanity, in Gethsemane's garden, as it were, 
he seemed to have turbulence of soul and said to God, if it were possible, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And it's at that juncture that Jonah's life takes a different turn. Your life and my life often takes a different turn. And it is at that juncture, if we could just go quickly to Jesus and see how he handled that desire to run away, that desire to rebel, that desire to refuse to do what God said to do. And if we could in humility yield our mind and heart and life to the will of God, then there would be victory. And we would not have to tell the sad story of so many of our lives as we tell the story of Jonah. So first of all, we speak tonight of the story of Jonah. Jonah was the son of Amittai. He was from Gethhafer. And God said, the word of the Lord came saying, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against her, for their wickedness has come up before me. There comes a day when God's patience wears out with man's wickedness. That was true in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was true in the days of the antediluvian world when God said to Noah, my patience has run out, this generation will be judged. This is also true of 1982, the last part of the 20th century, as we face the year 2000. We need to quiver in our boots as we think that God will not tolerate sin. And just as the sins in that antediluvian world brought the great judgment of the flood, and the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah brought rainstones of hail and brimstone and maybe the first atomic explosion upon those twin cities, so God will bring judgment on America. Do you know why Israel went into captivity? God said again and again and again, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days, that's what you're to do your work in. But that other day is a symbol to the world that you believe in one God. The Jews forgot it. And they didn't keep the Sabbath. And there's a scripture that tells us God sent them into captivity. How long? the same number of years they did not keep the Sabbath for 70 years because God will not be mocked. I don't know how long it's been since America has kept the Lord's Day. And you can say what you will about our having Hindus and Mohammedans and Confucius and uh, pagans and atheists and everybody else in America, this nation was founded by God-seekers who believed the Word of God. And when God was honored in our affairs and in the schools and in national affairs, God took care of this nation. But you look at the calendar in 1963 and 64, when that infamous decision was made by the Supreme Court. The influence of America has gone down, down, down around the world. And what has been the wake of that? When I first came to Bowling Green, the stores were all closed on Sunday. God's people didn't go out shopping on the Lord's Day. They did it six other days a week, at night, anytime they could. 
But now you go to the shopping centers on God's day, Sunday, the Lord's day, the day that God gave us to say to an unbelieving world, this is the day when the world is to see you behave differently to say, I serve a risen Savior. He got up from the dead on the Lord's day and that's the reason I don't play ball and go to the shows and have fun day and go shopping because that's God's day. I don't know how long it's been since the stores have been open, but they weren't open in 1962 and 61 and 60 and back in there. That's all developed since and I want to tell you, God will not leave you punished, unpunished, guiltless, if you take part in all that parade to the shopping centers on the Lord's Day. This is God's day, and I preach that. And I, it's not any different from what I've preached for years. I believe it, and I love you. If you do it, God says you're disobeying His Word. I beg you, I plead with you, don't do that. And God said, I've seen the wickedness of Nineveh. And it's up to here. I'm full of it. You go preach to them and warn them that in 40 days, if they do not repent, there'll be judgment. And I want you to notice the declension of Jonah. Look in verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, where's Tarshish? Well, many people, many of your Bible commentaries you get will say it's Spain. Those are old Bible commentaries. We don't know where Tarshish is, but I read an interesting article in the Reader's Digest not so long ago. Some of you may have read it. That said... They have found strange writing in North America and along in New England, down in areas where archaeologists are digging. We read about the archaeologists in Israel, but we don't read much about them here, but they're digging here too. And they found strange writing, and they found the name of Tarshish. And some have conjectured that Tarshish was an old name for North America. which has led many Bible students in recent years to believe that the, there was commerce between Israel and North America in the days long ago. Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm going to Tarshish. And he went down, and he went down. And when you start going down, it's easy to keep on going down. Look down in verse 4. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was in danger of being broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship to lighten it. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship. That's the third time he went down. And if you turn your Bible... To the next page. Look at verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. He went down into the sea. And look in verse 17. 
Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He went down into the belly of the fish. Beloved, when you start going away from the Lord, where do you stop? A little infringement here. A little rebellion here, a little cynicism here, a little rebellion, a little criticism, a little judgment here, a little pouting here, a little ill will here, a little hurt feelings here, and a little sin here. Where do you stop? There is no stopping until you come to grips with the fact that you are going away from God and you deal with it. But the problem with many of us is we trick ourselves into not recognizing that we're going away from God. This little sin feels good, and after all, that old fogey preacher or those old fogey parents that take this stand, well, they don't know what they're talking about. They've never experienced it like this. And so you go on down. Listen, friend, you don't have to experience the venom of a rattlesnake to know that you shouldn't be around a rattlesnake. You don't have to experience the venom of sin and of rebellion without, before you can know that you don't need to be around that. Jonah went down, away from God, away from the will of God. Listen, when God begins to ter- stir your heart and tug at your heart's strings, that's the very moment to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Don't go away from God. Where could I go but to the Lord? And when you start going away, where do you end? Where do you end? Just a little nip at the bottle. Just a little downer or a little upper or some pain medication makes you feel good. Just some little drug. Just some little beer, just some little dram of whiskey, just some little involvement in the illicit, just some little tiny something that feels good to the flesh and you say nobody will ever know and I just was experimenting with it and it felt so good that deep down in your heart and mind it leaves a memory of those good feelings and when the next opportunity comes you go back to it. Where do you stop going down? Oh, beloved friend, lots of people never stop until they get clear to the bottom. Mel Trotter was a respected man. He started taking a little social drink here and there. He liked it. I'm so glad God delivered me from ever taking social drinks. I never was hooked on whiskey or beer, never took it. I wish I could say I never tasted it, but I never took it. I never liked it. I'm an extremist probably, some of you think I am. If I ever got a taste of it and liked it, I might have been an alcoholic or a drunkard. So might you. So might you, young people today. Don't flirt around with sin. Don't sit there tonight and say, let the devil sell you a bill of goods and say, well, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. I'm speaking from God's Word. When you start down, 
There's no end until you come to grips with the fact that you've started down. Now, some of you could do that tonight. You could come to grips with that. You may not have gone the whole gamut. You may have gone just a little bit along the way, and nobody knows it, just you and God, maybe one other person. And if you'll stop in your tracks and say, I don't want to go away from God. My heart loves God. I don't want to go away from Him. And turn back. Get your steps turned back to heaven and make a beeline to the cross. There's cleansing and forgiveness and grace and mercy. That's the way it is with cigarettes. My heart bleeds when I see kids smoke. It's hard enough when I see big people smoke. I don't preach on smoking every Sunday, but I don't think anybody here has a question where I stand on it. We had one man leave our church about 10 years ago. He said, I didn't preach against it enough. <laughs> I guess we've had a number of people leave because I preached against it too much. But I want to tell you, it hurts my heart to see adults smoke. But it doesn't hurt my heart as much to see adults smoke as it does to see kids start smoking. You see, you don't have to. You do it because you think it looks sharp. You've seen some adult lady smoke, or woman. I guess she's not a lady if she smokes. You've seen some adult woman smoke. You've seen some adult man smoke. You've seen that, and you want to copy them. You think it looks big, or it doesn't look big. It looks little. It looks no self-control. That's what it looks like. And when you start it, where do you stop? They tell me, that the smoking habit is one of the hardest habits to break. I don't know, I guess you have to have something in your lips or something. I'm not sure whether it's the nicotine or some little habit here. I don't know what it is. If it's just a habit, why don't you get a little pencil and go? I don't know whether that's it or not. But I want to tell you, you don't have to get it started. And kids, when you get it started, remember that you're out of the will of God when you get that started because your body is the temple of God. You can never say, boy, I'm in the will of God, because you're not. That's out of the will of God. And when you start down, there's no place to end. When you give in a little bit in the sins of the flesh, you go out as young people in the car or in the theater or wherever you are and your hands begin to wander. It feels good. That's the problem with it. It feels good. And we live in a promiscuous society that says if it feels good, do it. And you go down. Where do you stop? Where do you stop? Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the hole of the ship, went to sleep. And when the storm came, and they didn't know what else to do, Jonah came to himself and realized what would have happened. And listen now, Jonah was a godly man. You can't, Jonah was nobody's fool. We sometimes think of Jonah as some runaway preacher that was a renegade and he didn't mean anything in the kingdom of God. That's not true. Jonah was the Billy Graham of his day. He was a sharp man. 
And I'm not being bemeaning Jonah. I'm simply saying he went away from God. And the first step away from God was not doing the little tiny thing God said to do. Whatever it is, you may be sitting in a service and God stirs your heart and says you ought to respond to the invitation. You say, no, that's disobedience. Where does that end? You may have some opportunity to serve the Lord and you say, I'm too busy. And you say, no, where does that no end? I'm just asking questions. You may hear somebody become negative and critical and you sit there and agree with them or just in silence you listen to them and you just say, hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, hmm, I see what you mean. Where does that end? Because they feel that you agree with them. And when you begin to take stands against the work of God and become critical of God's work, where does it end? Jonah said, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't know why he didn't want to go. Some have said he was racially prejudiced. Some have said he didn't like Assyria. Some have said that Assyria was a nation that was about to take over Israel. It was about liking asking a Jew who lives in, in, in Tel Aviv today to go over to a man in Jordan and try to preach to them and convert him. I don't know of any Jew that would do that today. It may have been that. But the point was, God told him to do it, and he said no. And so the real reason Jonah didn't go, he was in rebellion against the will of God. See, you can rationalize all kinds of things. You can say everything in the book. You can give every excuse in the world. But if God has said to do a thing and you don't do it, your rebellion is not against man. It's not against your wife or your husband or your parents. Your rebellion is against God. And Jonah went away. And there's no end to when you go away. There's no end. There's no stopping until you come to grips with the fact that you've gone away. And Jonah didn't do that. He rationalized. I guess he thought, well, I'll go to Tarshish. Now, if Tarshish was North America, they sure did need a revival over here. If, if Tarshish was Spain, they sure needed a revival over there. And Jonah might have felt in his heart, well, I'll just tell you, I'll do what God wants me to do, but I won't do it where he wants me to do it. So I'll get my Bible and I'll go over to Tarshish. I've known that's happened. God's people are subject to that, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Go here. Well, Lord, that'd be embarrassing to go there. I'll tell you, I'll go here. And we appease our conscience. Do what God says to do. And he went down to Joppa, got in that ship. And when the storm came, he came to himself. But oh, what a tragedy when he came to himself. He thought it was all over. He thought it was all the end of the world. He said, now, Lord, I've really made a fool of myself. I've become an idiot. And I, Lord, you've caught me and the storm is here and I don't know what to do. And these mariners know they found out now and you found out and we're going to all go down in the ship. Now, now, Lord, I'll tell you, I've just lived long enough. I want to die. <laughs> and so he said to those mariners, you throw me overboard and the sea will be quiet. Was that true? Yes. Thank God, God knows just when to intervene. You see, Jonah had reached the end of his rope. He was so discouraged, so despairing, so upset, so moved that he wanted to quit. He wanted to run. And God said, I'm not gonna let you do it yet, Jonah. 
Now, God had to do some dramatic thing with Jonah. I don't think he does that with everybody. Don't make God be dramatic with you. <laughs> it's very painful. It's scary. And so when Jonah said, throw me overboard, that's exactly what they did. And I guess when Jonah was about to go overboard just before he hit the water, he said, Lord, I commit my soul to you. I'm sorry I've been rebellious and plunge. I guess he thought that was the end of it. You ever thought you've reached the end? Defeated, discouraged. You know you've been wrong. You've run away from God. And you didn't know what to do about it. Well, down in that water, our dear Lord did a miracle. God's always working miracles in our lives. God's always doing that. I believe in miracles because I'm one. God moved into my life just in the nick of time and turned my life around. Oh, I'm so grateful. Someday, years from now, I want to give my testimony of a teenage life. God just moved in and turned my life around. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. If I should try for all eternity, I could never, never tell you what he did for me. And Jonah, defeated, discouraged, went down into the watery grave. And that's the end. But no, it isn't the end with God. God doesn't end things the way men do. God started stirring around in that, I don't know what, I just don't know when he started building that ship that he got Jonah in. We call it a fish. It was more like a ship, a ship fish, a live ship. I don't know when he started making it. You see, if God made the fish to begin with, if God made men to begin with, he could certainly make a little old fish that could swallow Jonah. And so God maybe began that years before Jonah was born because God knows everything. And lots of times God has arranged and prearranged circumstances before we ever get to the point where we need them. God has already prearranged them. And when we need them, there they are. And so Jonah plunged down, down, down. And I don't know when he started having a sensation of drowning or just what happened. And I don't know how far down he had to go. Maybe that, that, that fish ship was right at the top of the water. But at any rate, in a little while, Jonah was gulped down the fish. You say, you don't believe that, do you? Yes, I do. I believe that really happened. Amen. You mean that's not just a spiritual parable? No, I think that really happened. That's how simple my faith is. I just believe it happened. God says it. And that settles it, whether I believe it or not, but I happen to believe it. And so I'm thankful God's given me that kind of faith. Now, the ship, the fish ship swallowed Jonah. And he went down into that fish. I think that Jonah, Jonah thought it was a shark. <laughs> that's what I'd think. If you jumped into the Atlantic Ocean or the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where he was, the Mediterranean Sea. If you jumped into the Mediterranean Sea and some great big clodhopper got hold of you and swallowed you, what would you think? Well, you'd think, I'm, I guess this is it. I've read about it. There's those man-eaters in the Reader's Digest, so I've got one now. Or he's got me. Well, down there in the ship, in that fish ship that God prepared, Oh, I'm so glad God did that. If God could prepare the ark, he could surely f fix a little submarine down in the ocean to take care of Jonah. And the whole chapter 2, Jonah comes to his senses. That whole chapter is a prayer. You read it. It's one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. 
And God had to get him way down there before he could pray like he ought to pray. And I don't know why we do our best praying when we're in trouble. Why is it? Do you know that's true in your life? Our best praying, our most urgent praying comes when we're in trouble and we, we, we look on this side and that side and we don't know where to go, we don't know what to do, and we just prostrate ourselves before God and say, God, sink or swim, live or die, here I am. Forgive me, cleanse me. That's what Jonah did. Ten verses of it. And we come to that scene. God gives Jonah a second chance. Listen, beloved, we serve a God of a second chance. I'm glad that's true. I'm sure there's some in this room tonight who have taken full advantage of God the first time God gave you the opportunity. But I would say most of us have had to get in on God's second chance. God's second choice. God's second opportunity. And so the fish got rid of Jonah three days later and he belched him up on the shore of Israel. And God said, Jonah, hey Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Seems like I've heard those words before, Lord. Lord, I've learned my lesson. I'll do it. I'm scared, but I'll do it. Have you ever been scared to do something God was telling you to do? You ever been afraid of it? You, you wanted to, and yet there were butterflies in your stomach? I think it's the way 